Hey, this is Angel Donovan with another episode of DSR Become a Better Man. And today we're looking at how to date safe, how to avoid problems and accusations of sexual assault and all of that kind of edgy stuff that we see in the news and we definitely not like to happen to us or anyone near us. And it's a fine line and it's something that's uh, very debated at the moment. And so it's definitely a topic that we should have on this show and delve into. So I highly encourage you to listen and listen carefully. To the discussion today with today's guest, it's going to provide you a lot more clarity around this to make you feel more assured that what you're doing isn't inappropriate or won't get you into trouble one day. So very important topic, dating safely, how to do it, how to make sure what you're doing is comfortable for both you and the girl in front of you. Before we jump into today's episode, I've uh, currently got a project which I've been working on for about a year or so which is to explore the biggest problems for men in terms of their sex life, their sexuality, because I found that it was a very, very common issue for guys in our coaching programs and everyone I spoke to. It's probably the number one self-development issue of today, and I think it's affecting other areas of guys' lives. And that's due to all sorts of factors from libido issues, lethargy, uh, porn use, and perhaps too much porn use or distortion of what sex should be like by the media, porn, and so on. There's many, many things that are basically sabotaging or giving us insecurities in the area of our sexuality and our sex lives. And it's not really our fault, but it's widespread. So I've been working on a program to help with all of that, tackle the insecurities, the weaknesses, develop your sexual psychology, and so on and so forth, give you the biggest takeaways to fix all of that. I wanted to give you some of this, but I wanted to make sure that it was specific to you. And I want to give some of that away to you for free to get some feedback on it. So here's how I'd like to do it. I'd like to get to understand what your number one challenge is in this area, sexuality, sex, all of that area, and send back to you a specific video to cover that number one challenge. Now, through my experience of looking at this area, a lot of guys have different topics which they're struggling with. So I'm not going to send you just something generic. I want to send you something specifically for your number one challenge. So please go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash sex and put your number one challenge in there. Then in a couple of weeks, I'll record a video and send that to you to target your number one challenge and hopefully fix it for you if it doesn't get back in touch with me. But that's the goal. That's the plan. Go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash S-E-X, that's sex, and uh, get some free video advice from me on your specific challenge. Hope that helps you. Now, for today's guest, today's guest is Michael J. Domitz. He heads up an organization called the Date Safe Project, for which the basic goal is to eliminate the chance of people having sexual encounters, which they're later going to regret. And more specifically, to provide ideas and teachings on how to communicate around dating scenarios and avoid the risk of making the other person feel uncomfortable or getting either person into a sexual situation that either one may regret in that moment or later. So this, of course, relates to the whole college campus sexual assault and rape stories and situations that have been covered in the news and media a lot recently. As a guy, this is probably something that has put you a little on edge What is appropriate? What is not appropriate? These are the kinds of things which can make you hesitate and and make you feel uncomfortable in dating situations, which is not good for anyone. You've probably received a lot of conflicting advice on how to get physical with women on dates, how to move to kiss or to have sex with a girl. And the whole topic of sexual assault probably makes you a little uncomfortable and you don't have any concrete or clear rules to follow to ensure that you never step into that kind of territory, sexual assault territory, 
or indeed a situation where the girl you're with is not having a great, happy, awesome time where she feels totally comfortable and in for it. The interview with today's guest was a great discussion. I'm not sure anyone has all the answers to this evolving topic, but I hope you get some clear takeaways from it. And if you're left with any questions afterwards, please do comment on the episode by finding it at datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast and choosing the episode. You'll find the comments at the bottom. Just comment in there your questions or your opinions or whatever. And, and the, today's guest or I will get back to you. So Michael J. Dometz, our guest today, he has a lot of experience in this topic. He has been working on it for over a decade and speaking about it everywhere with diverse sets of audiences, answering their questions, answering opinions, asking their thoughts on this topic. So he's really covered a lot of ground in that time. And you'll find in today's uh, episode that he's really able to discuss and tackle all of the, the biggest questions around it. I thoroughly enjoyed discussing today's tricky topic with Michael and hope you do too, as well as taking some clear takeaways with you that will improve your dating life. As usual, if you want to get the show notes for this episode, the links to Michael Dometz and what he's up to and everything else like that and that we mentioned on the show, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash podcast and pick out the episode from there. If you want all of that in your email inbox, every time we put an episode out, go to datingskillsreview.com forward slash newsletter, put your email in there and thus it shall be done. Now let's get into this interview. I'm Angel Donovan. And this is the Dating Skills Podcast. This is a 14-year ongoing mission to discover the truth about what works in dating, sex, and relationships. To become a better man. Join me as I leave no stone unturned. Chase down every expert, role model, and mentor with insights to get us to that goal as fast as possible. This show is about bringing you the best of that information so that you can take it in change your life for the better, step-by-step, episode-by-episode. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's awesome. And you've got a new perspective to bring us. So, you know, I'm always looking for unique stuff and you, you're in a, your own little unique niche, um, I think, in this area, which you can tell us a bit more about. I thought we'd just dive straight into it and uh, talk about the, the main subject. What and it's kind of like the definition, because, you know, with words, everyone kind of uh, has different ideas of what things mean. So I find it's always good to start with a definition. So what is sexual assault? Well, and that's a good question, because around the world, there are different definitions to that. Generally, when we speak of sexual assault, we're talking about sexual contact without consent. Very simple concept, actually. People try to make it sound complicated, but it's really not. Sexual contact without consent. Okay, so the without consent part, could you dig a bit deeper into that? Yes, that means for somebody to have consent. Now, once again, legally, definitions vary all over the world. So what we're going to talk about is what we believe in as a whole. And what we believe in as a whole is that consent is enthusiastically, mutually wanted and given. That means, and it's always between partners of legal age, sound mind. So that means that I need to know before I do something with your body that you want it. That's the key, not an arrogance of, I know what you want, so I'm just going to give it to you, but I'm not going to check in because I know what you want. That's arrogance. Huge, huge difference in arrogance and consent. Arrogance leads to people just making their moves because they think they can read someone's body language and they go, oh, I got it. If they want this right now, I'm going to give it to them. The problem is if they don't want it right then and you make that move, you've already engaged with them sexually in a way they didn't want to be touched. The only thing you can do at that point is apologize if it didn't go well. They deserve to have had a choice before it happened. 
Great, great. To clarify also, sexual contact, what, what could that be? Do you have you know, some specific examples of the range of things that could be? Well, a way to think of it this way is, are you doing it for sexual pleasure or degradation? Right. Then it's then typically that's more sexual contact. Is it more what we consider a sexual area of the body, genitalia? Uh, depending on gender, people will rate this differently. Uh, it not necessarily should be, but people will look at it differently. Like people in their minds think, oh, okay, a woman's breast, but they don't necessarily think a man's breast. But you you can definitely have that discussion, uh, and people will think the penis, you know, or the vulva, or the vagina, or you know, the labia. So it just depends on what somebody's definition, somebody will think the rear end. So it really depends on the circumstance. You know, could a kiss on the lips be sexual? Well, anybody with common sense could say, well, of course, of course, making out can be very sexual. But kissing mom goodnight is not sexual, right? So there's not a purpose of sexual gratification or degradation there. Okay, that makes sense. And what is the Date Safe Project? So we're an organization that works around the world that we're providing this education uh-huh. on consent, on how to intervene when you're at a party or at a bar and you see somebody using alcohol to try to facilitate a sexual assault. Now, that, now people call that a, a drunk hookup or being taken advantage of. You see those scenes, how to intervene and stop them. Also, how to support survivors so that when this does happen, you can help your loved ones come forward. So we work in all those realms. And our, our mission is to create a culture of consent and respect throughout the world. Okay, great. When you say throughout the world, are you doing this in Asia or in Europe? And is it a pretty big project? Could you give us some bit of an idea of this, the size of it, like the number of people involved? And I'm just curious about. So we have a we have a small team within the organization itself, and I'm the one who travels the world speaking. And then there's a team making a lot of the content happen as far as online, social media, mm-hmm. scheduling all the events, logistics, our blogging, all of that. There's a team that helps make that happen. Mm-hmm. And that's really where we're doing a lot of reach worldwide is we do get people following us and using our materials around the world. Speaking wise, most of our international work overseas is with the U.S. military. So we're still working often with American audiences. Now, what's interesting about that is, let's say I'm in Italy or I'm in South Korea speaking for the U.S. military. Sometimes their partners are there, their spouses are there with them who are locals. So we do get a very much mixed cultural experience in the programs because of spouses that are there from other cultures. Now we do do some, we do a lot of work actually in Canada too. So that's not overseas, it's outside the United States. Uh, But yes, so I travel all over the world, wherever they want us to go. That's interesting. Actually, since you brought up the military, I was uh, just on a plane sitting next to a girl on the plane who was in the military. She was just flying back from the UK. She'd been stationed here for three years. She was telling me about a situation where they, they basically got reprimanded because well, people were breaking up, there were divorces going on, and they kind of had a uh, like basically a session where they were getting reprimanded and told that it had to stop, and that anyone having affairs with others on the uh, on the base or or things like that should stop. Is that normal in the military? It just it just seems kind of different to me. No, it's very normal. Here's why it's normal in the military: they have a core value system they believe in uh-huh. and that they live by. Well, part of those, depending on what service you're talking about, words like honor and integrity are in there. Right. So if somebody is cheating in relationships, that would lack typically integrity. Mm. Now, if your partner knows you are and you agree to that, that's, I guess, that's a different situation. Obviously, you could argue whether that is integrity. Some people say it still is. It's breaching the relationship. But that's why they have those conversations. Now, the other reason they have those conversations, and this is an extremely important one, if that stuff's happening, what is it doing to morale? which heavily impacts 
preparedness for battle. Yeah, I, I agree on that. So yeah. if you're working next to somebody and person A over here is having an affair with your partner, how does that affect you two working together? Yeah. How does that affect lives are on the line and you have to move quickly? To, could that subconsciously impact the situation? Yeah. And so that's why they don't want that happening. They want that core value of integrity and honor being being valued and, and lived. Yeah. It's really interesting because I guess from the movies, you get the perspective that soldiers are well known for uh, dating girls in any country they go to and so on. I think, you know, it comes from a lot of the older movies and so on. But, it you know, it seemed like it was exactly the opposite. Well, and that can happen. Absolutely. So we have military members around the world. And in some parts of the world, they're not able to go into the community due to the, the safety issues. But there are other parts of the world that absolutely, they go out all the time and they can have a good time just like they can here in the United States. They meet a local and they do have relationships, whether that be a one-night sexual relationship or whether that be a long-term relationship, just like they're here in the United States. That can be very similar. And so what they want to do is I want to make sure, all right, we have our military members engaging in situations that can be very high risk, that can have high risk consequences. For instance, if a sexual assault were to take place, that obviously can, it is traumatic to the survivor. It can also, if it's a military member committing the crime, it impacts the military heavily. And as far as they lose a person, that person goes, person, I know some people are listening going, what, what does that have to do with any of the survivors should be the focus? Obviously, my line of work, that's what we're focused on. From a military viewpoint or a corporate viewpoint, they're also looking at what it could, what could our members do that could result in us losing them, that could hurt our reputation, right? Let's say that a military member from Australia goes out and commits a sexual assault. It makes the news. Does that hurt the entire reputation of the Australian military? Yes, it does. So all of that plays into why the militaries want to be doing high-level education on this. Now, the key is you're talking about, hey, they, she felt like she was being reprimanded when she was at this program. That's not effective education typically. Mm. So what you want is really effective programming, stuff that engages, gets people talking, gives them a new skill set that makes them want to walk out and go, hey, I want this life. I want to use these skill sets. I want to succeed in this area. Right. Yeah, it's very, really, very really interesting. It's a look into a whole other world for me. So why talk about sexual assault now specifically? How long have you been doing this? Well, I've been doing this since 1990. 91 is when I began and so for me, this is a now discussion. I've been doing it for 27 years. Mm. It's interesting. People say, well, why is this at the center of news around the world now? Why suddenly are we talking about it more now? And it depends on what's happening in cases. There's been some improvements in our society that has helped this discussion come forward. The fact is, though, in 1994, when one of the major magazines had Katie Kessner's face on the cover, and it was really the first time a major national publication discuss sexual assault on college campuses and had a survivor on the front front cover. And that started the conversation then. I remember people then saying, oh, this is just a hot topic right now, but you know, Mike, you're doing this work, but what's going to happen in five years when nobody's talking about it? Well, then the 90s came along and cases were making the news and people go, well, what are you going to do in the 2000s? Unfortunately, there does not seem to be in our lifetime a vision ahead in our lifetime where we're not going to need to talk about this. And that's the sad part. It'd be great if I had no reason to have a job because this problem was solved tomorrow. That would be fantastic. We say in our line of work, it'd be great if you know our businesses all had to collapse because the problem went away. There's no sign of that happening whatsoever due to cultural norms and teachings. Have you got any stats on this? Has it changed over time since you've been around since the 90s? There are, sure no, stats. There there are stats? no stats that show significant improvement. Or change. Here's what, here's what has changed over time. Mm-hmm. 
there is a better understanding of the issue, without a doubt. I can prove that from comments my audience members will make, that it's drastically improved. An understanding of the topic, they get that. Now, as far as an awareness goes, now applying it to their own personal lives, that's where we still have a major lag. For instance, I can be in front of an audience of 2,000 people and say, can a drunk person, let's say it's college students or military members, can a drunk person consent, a person who's not of sound mind, consent to a sexual act? The audience will yell no. They know the answer. No, they cannot. They're not of sound mind. They're vulnerable. Okay. Many members in that same audience will pursue a drunk person that same night on a Friday night when they go out. They know it's wrong, so awareness is increased, but they don't realize that they're engaging in that behavior themselves. And that's where the lag is still occurring, and that's why we have so much education to do. When we get in a room and we can help people look in the mirror and go, oh man, I am part of this discussion. I need to look at my own behaviors. That's when you get behavioral change. Awareness is positive, but if we're gonna really have a result long-term that's gonna change the world, be a paradigm shift, we need individual personal behavior acknowledgement of I need to change here and here's the way I need to change. I think the whole topic of drinking is interesting and not being of sound mind because I think everyone has that experience where, you know, you went out, you got drunk and you hooked up with someone who you didn't necessarily want to wake up with the next day. I mean, a lot of people have had that experience that can affect your confidence, that can affect just your self-esteem afterwards and it is really common it's kind of considered normal as well you know it's something to chuckle about at school i remember it was when i was at college and, and so on happened well that's, and we can pause right there because that's a great point that you're making that people almost chuckle about that except the person who wakes up that morning doesn't know how they got there realizes somebody has violated their body and they have no clue how this has happened. Wait, 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 wait. Because <laughs> I think this happens from both sides. And that was, that was half of my point. The way you're approaching this is, you tell me um, if this is right or wrong. Are we talking about men to women primarily? Or are we talking about both scenarios? Or, or what are we primarily talking about? All genders, all identities, all right. sexual orientations uh -huh. can be a perpetrator, can have it happen to them, can be the survivor. Yeah. I do I do not. In our line of work, we're not speaking saying, hey, men don't do this or women, here's this. We do not do that. We talk about, look, let's talk about how to live our lives the right way so that regardless of which viewpoint you're coming from, you make good choices. Yeah. And that's really what's pivotally important there. So when I just said somebody wakes up, they don't know what happened, their body was violated, that could be any gender that could wake up and feel that. And the fact is our society chuckles at, you're right, they do at the notion of, oh, I woke up, I didn't even know who this person was. Or what happens is they're normalizing somebody using alcohol to facilitate a sexual situation that somebody cannot give consent to. And every now and then people say, well, what if they're both drunk? That is not normally the case. They're not both equally drunk. That is very, very rare. And when you talk to people, they, they acknowledge that. They're like, that's true. One usually knows what's happening. They're usually the one feeding the other one more drinks as the night goes on and to increase their odds. That is way more common. And so what you have is you have somebody giving somebody drinks intentionally to get them vulnerable. Once they're vulnerable, they're not of sound mind. They make their moves. I don't know. That sounds, you know, that sounds like a lot of people have an agenda there. Sure. Hasn't been my experience in life. But here's a way to show they do. Watch any movie, any movie discussing this issue. They will joke. The characters will joke about get her drunk so you can get her in bed. Yeah. It is an agenda. People will brag on a Friday night, I'm gonna go out tonight and find someone drunk so I can get laid. They literally are looking for a vulnerable person. Uh -huh. And I, they don't have, they don't say out loud and they don't even understand maybe. That doesn't make it okay. They might not understand that what they're describing is sexual assault, but it is. 
because it's so normal, we don't call it what it is. And as long as we don't call it what it is, it keeps being normalized as okay. Imagine if every time, I think you bring up a great point, Angel. Imagine if every single time that happened on a weekend, people said, hey, there was a sexual assault this weekend. Oh my gosh, we could not ignore how much this was happening all around us. But instead people go, oh, there was a drunk hookup and nobody pays attention to the harm or the risk or what took place. A big piece of this is we got to start calling it what it is and acknowledge how messed up that is. Here's a great question. Why do people use alcohol for sex? Why? See, if we can talk about that. Right. I'd say because they all have inhibitions around sex. Yes, that's correct. So what they're doing is they're using alcohol to get their partner in a situation where they lower their inhibitions. Now, here's the more important part, too, and lower their standards. So my partner does not have sound mind to make good choices, lower standards. They have lower inhibitions, yes, but they also have lower standards. And they're intentionally giving this person more drinks, so that will happen. So it's messed up. What we should be teaching in our culture is how do we teach people to have a sexual voice? How do we teach people to have sexual confidence so they don't need one ounce of alcohol to have sex with each other? And that's the part nobody wants to discuss. Okay. And if we were if we were teaching, hey, here's what great sex looks like. It's you don't need it. You don't want alcohol because alcohol numbs you. So you don't want the alcohol. You want you want to feel everything. You want to be fully aware and have such sexual confidence about yourself that you love that. You enjoy that. That if we were all pursuing that, and that's in the earlier when I said our our mission is creating a culture of consent and respect. Yeah. Because that leads to mutually amazing sexual experiences. Okay. Well, I agree. I agree with what you're saying about the alcohol. When you talk about it, it sounds like, you know, a lot of people have this agenda of using the alcohol as a tool uh, for the other person to have lower their inhibitions and standards, as you said. Now, I don't I don't look at it like that. I see it that, you know, most people don't have that agenda that I speak to or I know. But I would say that it has an equally negative effect on their self-esteem because they actually lower their own standards. And and what I've seen in my life is that a lot of these hookups will happen when both parties are drunk. And it might be just selection bias. All of the people I've known in my life or I hung out with, they haven't really tried to push drinks on anyone. And they do go out with people. They drink a lot themselves. Um, and they kind of chuckle at themselves when they go home with the wrong person. And the other bros make fun of them as well. I'm not sure about that there's a lot of people out there with this kind of agenda. And um, Well, let me back up. I, when I said agenda, remember what I said, that they might not even be aware of it. I'm not saying that. Well, I, yeah, like, I agree with the jokes you brought up and the stuff like in the culture that's wrong. And, you know, in a kind of subconscious way, some people might be thinking that, right? It's just, I haven't seen it in the behaviors like You gave a buy. great example of mm-hmm. your friends. You gave a great example. They go out, they like to drink. This is their, it's a social lubricant, right? By what you're describing. Mm-hmm. They're using alcohol as a social lubricant. Yep. Why? Because we haven't taught people how to actually be comfortable with sex without that lubricant. That's the whole problem. And so you're not aware when you're somebody of low self-esteem, let's say somebody has low Mm self-esteem and they think, well, the only way I get laid is by going out and getting drunk, right? They don't even consciously think that maybe, but they, they've got it in their head because they have low self-esteem. So I go out on Friday nights to get drunk. I'm not saying me, the person who's in that situation. I go out on Friday nights to have a good time. And when I get drunk, sometimes I end up getting laid. Well, what do you think that does? That creates a circle that says getting drunk helps get me laid. Right, right. So that is an agenda, whether they're conscious of it or not, I'm going to use alcohol to have this happen. Now, that doesn't mean they have the agenda of I'm trying to do harm to another person. Whether you have an intention to do the harm does not stop the fact you did the harm. 
I think we may have like two different definitions here. Are you saying that they are less inhibited and, and more forward and, and kind of more aggressive, which leads to them having sex with someone and in your terms, basically kind of potentially sexually assaulting someone just because they're not really aware of where their mind's at? Or because what I understood earlier was that you thought, you know, they were kind of pushing the drinks on the other person, encouraging the other person to drink. So let's say the girl in a situation here, the guy goes out, he drinks quite a bit, but he's actually kind of encouraging the girl to drink more than him because he thinks he's going to get laid that way. Both. They're both true scenarios. In other words, if one is pushing drinks on the other, obviously anybody with common sense can say that's messed up. Right. right? I mean, most people agree on that. That's messed up. People don't disagree with that. But ironically, people who say that's messed up, they don't even recognize themselves doing it in their own relationships. Like I can be in front of an audience is married and they're like, we're married. Why do we need to be here? And I go, all right. Have you ever given your partner one more drink? Cause you thought it would help them get horny. Yes, I have. Okay. Well then you just pushed a drink on to get sex. And they're like, oh man, I never, that's true. I did. I mean, if they're honest now, if they're defensive, they'll be like, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. I just did it to help them get loosened up. Why they need to get loosened up. It's pretty Because you, you're right. It's pretty blatant, right? You don't think the sex would have happened without it. So you used alcohol, but they don't believe they're doing it for that. So yeah. That's what I'm saying, right? They're not even aware they're doing that. So there's the one who's aware of it, who says, I'm going to go out and get someone drunk and I'm going to push all these drinks. And then there's a whole chunk of our society that's not even aware they're doing it. They're not even aware. And, or subconsciously they're going out to get drunk and that ends up, that's their cycle of getting laid, right? So they're not having these conversations. And so I'm glad you're asking all these different scenarios because there's so much deep discussion here of what people have been taught as a normal. So I'm not sexually assaulting someone, right? Because I just went out to get drunk. They got drunk. You, that's not rape, right? Because the moment it could possibly be, people become highly defensive because how dare you say I'm a rapist versus saying, why didn't you have sex with the person sober? Why didn't you have sex with the person after they only had one drink and they were very much of sound mind? Why does it always when you're both drunk? So having these conversations becomes very powerful. Yeah, I agree with you. And like, I'm actually, I don't drink alcohol. I have quit two years ago and I haven't been much of a drinker myself. And when we teach guys, we always, one of the things we tell them to do is quit alcohol because their conversation skills go out the window um, when they right. drink too much and it doesn't help the situation. So I'm not for drinking in any way. And, and I want to be fair, but I do want to be fair. I'm not mm. against people going and having a good time, right? You're yeah. drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. We're not saying don't drink alcohol. Uh, we're saying that sex is a, mutual relationship, mutual, whether it's one night or whether you've been together 20 years. Right. And for something to be mutual, somebody needs to be of sound mind to make a legal choice. By the way, that's true. Take it out of sex. That's true of a, if you're buying something of significance yeah. in the, for instance, the United States, if you know, somebody is in a vulnerable state of mind and you sell them something in most of the United States, that's not a sale because you took advantage of the buyer. Uh, and so that's not allowed. And that's on material items, not the human body. Right. So what we're saying is, hey, why don't we teach, why don't we transform our culture so that, you know, if you want to go out and drink, that's fine, but have sex before you're drunk, right? Have sex before you're not of sound mind. People will say all the time, hey, are you going to get drunk tonight to their partner? You know what? I think I might. I, mean, I think I might have quite a few tonight. All right. Why don't we have sex now? Now, if you're in a mature, healthy sexual relationship and you're both in the mood, partner will be like, all right, you're right. You know what? Let's do it now when I can, when I'm in the mood and we're here and let's right. have a blast. Well, the truth is sex is always better without alcohol anyway. Yes, always. yes. And what you just said, Angel, is so critical. And I know you said you teach that too, that the sex is so much better with alcohol. But our, our culture around the world is not having that conversation and they believe the opposite. They believe with a few drinks, I'm better in bed because there's so many inhibitions. There's so much judgment depending on your gender. 
of if you choose to be sexual, you know, for instance, those who identify as women, they can be degraded for being sexual. They can also be degraded for not being sexual enough. It's like a lose-lose. So now our culture says, well, use alcohol. That'll help you become yourself more. I mean, it's just a disaster. Yeah, it's it's just to get over inhibitions, right, from both sides of the party. And if you look at that's what the decision making, you know, process is for people today on on both sides, for girls and guys, they're like, I'm going to get drunk to get over my inhibitions because I get laid more often when I do that. As you said, that's kind of the discourse. I remember when I, when I was at college, that was a discourse. Everyone get drunk and they'd hook up more often, and that was just the way. So it's kind of this reward process. You get whatever you reward. Well, but there's a catch to it though. And that is, there is a difference in gender evaluation of this. It can be. It's not always based on gender. But that is, men are more likely to think, for instance, in a heterosexual relationship, that, okay, it was a mistake. Big deal. But women who, let's say that you've, somebody's been, and and this is a little graphic, but somebody's penetrated you. Somebody's been inside you. Somebody's touched your most vulnerable areas. There's a different experience there. Now, let me be very consistent here. If that happens to a male, he can feel the same way. But our culture has taught men you should want that even when you're not in the mood for it. We've taught women it's not okay to be sexual. It's a disaster. So what happens is people think, oh, it was just a mistake. So I had sex with her. We woke up the next morning. We were both drunk. We didn't know what we were doing. She might be waking up realizing somebody just raped me. I would do not have, I do not know how this happened. Somebody was inside me. Somebody's touched me. Somebody's – those are two different paradigms. The one you're going to hear about is the guy going, oh, I got drunk, and he's going to talk about that. The survivor may never tell another human being what happened, so we're only hearing one side of the story when it goes bad, mm. and that's very common. So it gets written off as, oh, it's just a reward game, right? Go out and get drunk, get late, but we're not hearing the other side. And that, By the way, I want to stress, that survivor could be any gender, right, that's been touched, that's been wake up and realizes this, and so and people will go, well, wait a second. If they're, let's say that alcohol is on both sides of the equation, how do you know who committed the sexual assault? Or how can anybody be responsible? There's an easy way to explain that. People go, compared to drunk driving, a drunk driver gets held responsible for drinking and then killing someone. How come if you have sex when you're drunk, you're not held responsible? Here's the difference. Which person did the harm? A drunk driver did harm while drunk. And so they're being held responsible for the harm. If you are drunk and somebody does something sexual to your body, that you are not able to consent to, they're doing the harm. Therefore, they're responsible, not the person the harm was done on to. Yeah, it's just it's just kind of tricky where you have two people and they're both taking part in the act. When you have a drunk driving incident, the guy drives into someone and it's pretty obvious he drives into someone who's not drunk. Or Yeah, you, you, have, you have a double the mess. I'm agreeing with you. If you have two people who are equally drunk and not of sound mind engaging in a sexual situation, you have a mess. You have a bit of a disaster. It's why we teach people how to intervene. So we teach people when you see that scene at a party, at a bar, you're with friends, you see that starting to blow that scene up, like intervene, stop that. That's a disaster waiting to happen. And we don't want a disaster. We don't want it to end in a sexual assault, sexual violence. So intervene, because I agree with you. There's no win-win to that scene, right? So let's intervene and stop it from happening. I guess the other part I was just thinking about when you're talking about that is our culture, when you talk about penetrating you know, the way we look at things is we've taught guys that it doesn't really matter if they slept with the wrong girl or, you know, they had one of these uh, sex sessions and they wake up and they didn't feel so good about it. They feel bad, but they're told to just kind of like get over it. It's just funny. Uh, It's not a big deal. Right. And 
like in the same light, it's often been fine for guys to sleep around, but not so much for women. But, you know, our culture puts a lot more pressure on women to make it a bad thing if this situation has happened. So I think it's also like, obviously it's, it's also different for a woman, but it's also like there's different cultural pressure on a woman to make it into a bad scenario also. What is your take on that? Well, I would say that there's not enough support to help survivors come forward after something bad has happened. Mm. I don't think there's a lot of pressure for a person to make it bad after the scene. No. Uh, there's a big difference in, for let's say there's no alcohol involved. Let's just say there's no alcohol involved at all. And you both agree to it the night before. You want it and you wake up the next day and you're like, why'd I do that? That's regret. Nobody, that's not sexual assault. That's regret. And that can happen. You can regret a choice you made. What'll happen though in society is they'll go, well, I'm going to sleep with someone. They're going to wake up the next morning and regret it and call it rape. Uh, first of all, if that's your concern, who are you sleeping with? Like, why would you sleep with somebody? That's your fear factor. Like, why would you do that? Right. That just doesn't even make sense Two, if that's what you keep thinking that somebody's going to regret having sex with me, why don't you really make sure they want to have sex with you? Like that's a simple solution. Make sure they're sober, make sure. But what happens is our society shows the example of that one sexual assault case and everybody goes, see, that's how it works. A woman changes her mind and then says it was rape and look at all, that's what's happening all over the place. No, that's not what's happening all over the place at all, at all. But you just need one case like that for the world to run with and over-exaggerate issues like false report, regret. And so, no, that's not what's typically happening. What we need to do is to teach everybody that, the difference between regret and sexual assault. Now, if I wake up the next morning and I was not of sound mind and I don't know how I got here, that's not, somebody might say, well, I would regret that. Maybe they would have that feeling as a survivor, but they're also recognizing they were sexually assaulted. So that's not changing their mind the next morning. That's literally waking up and going, oh my God, what has happened to me? I've been sexually assaulted. That's not changing the mind. That's having a realization of what took place. I think it's a really, really uh, tricky area, which is you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. And you know, just the word assault, you know, it just makes it sound like an attack. And I think there's a danger of overusing it for situations which are unfortunate and not healthy. Uh, definitely agree with that. But I don't think they have the kind of intent behind them. And you know, I think to a certain extent, you agree with that. You think the culture's wrong that we kind of have these uh, standards of thinking being forceful ending up in these situations is okay. It's not a big deal. It's just funny. I put it down mostly to low self-esteem and sexual inhibition and sexual immaturity, not being able to deal with these things. As you say, with a sound mind and to avoid all of these situations, to have perspective on the longer term, like if it's just the next day or the next week to how you may feel afterwards. But I think it's the problem is that's part of growing up. We're not like in the education system for uh, sexual education. It's a tricky subject to to teach because we, we've put a lot of emotions around it. And, you know, the media continue to laden emotions on people. And now there's porn all over all over the Internet. You know, there's all sorts of like emotional connotations and, and stuff. Well, I mean, we can go there. The education around the world is horrific. Right. Sex education around the world. Here's what it is. You typically get either what not to do, abstinence, or what, and, and by the way, that's not a bad option. That can be a wonderful option. But if you only learn that, you have no skill set mm. for when you do make the choice. Whether you could say, I'm going to wait till marriage. Well, what happens when you get married if you have no skill set? That's not healthy. All right. Or you get the one over here that says, uh, here's what not to get which is talking about disease, infection, pregnancy. And so they tend to be around condom, birth control, that yeah. discussion. 
what's interesting about that is you're teaching what not to do, what not to get, and you're not teaching what to actually do. Like you're not actually giving them, or here's how to put on a condom. But how do you actually talk to your partner about what they like sexually? How do you find that out for yourself? What are you comfortable talking about with your voice? See, that's consent. Consent is learning my voice, having a choice, being part of that exploration that's mutual and it's wanted and it's enthusiastic. Consent is like the greatest sex ever. And it should be the only way sex happens, obviously, is with consent. But when you really understand consent, that mutually wanted, enthusiastically given, that's what leads to incredible sex. Right. Absolutely. So let's move on with some of the, the practical stuff because that, that'll make it clearer to the people listening what you know, you're talking about in terms of creating the consent and all the good stuff that goes with that. So how would you describe your approach? Like just in kind of a dating scenario, kissing, physical intimacy, sex? It's passionate because what's neat about when you use your words, it's so much more intimate than assumptions and arrogance. A lot of people out there think I can read, they can read body language, right? Like, oh, I can read body language. Well, what they're doing is they're reading their own urges and wants, hoping the other one feels the same. That's what they're really doing. They're not reading body language because that same look depends on how you are perceiving your feelings in the moment, right? They're looking at you and you could think, oh, they want me. Now, if you have no connection, they're looking at you and you think, oh, they're annoying. I mean, it's the exact same look depending on where you're coming from. So your own arrogance and your ego gets in the way of that. So talk, ask them, hey, you know what? I'm feeling a really strong connection tonight. Are you, are you feeling that connection? Right? You have fun with it. Uh, look them right in the eyes. May I kiss you right now? Now you do it like that. That's very romantic. It's very passionate. Now somebody out there be going, I would hate being asked. No, typically if they're saying that, they're picturing this. May I kiss you right now? Like, you know, some obnoxious, annoying voice versus a real personal conversation. Looking somebody in the eyes and saying, may I kiss you? Is it possible that you could ask and somebody could say, geez, I don't like being asked? Yes, because they've been taught you're not supposed to use your voice. It's not okay for them to say yes. So that tells you how messed up things are. So you learn as a couple, you learn as a partnership of, no, I want to hear you say yes. I love that. So you're saying like basically every step in physical intimacy uh, should be vocal. Or an exploration of the steps before you engage in them, right? So it doesn't mean that I go, can I touch your left? Can I touch your right? That's the stereotype people have as it's happening. How about instead you go, what would you love for me to do for you in bed tonight? That's a whole different conversation. Very consensual, right? You're listening. They get to say what they like, what they don't like. Now, if somebody listening right now is going, geez, I couldn't have that conversation. Then you want to look in the mirror and go, why not? What confidence am I missing or what sexual knowledge am I missing that I can't own the situation? Because that's all you're doing. You're owning the situation. Right. What would you love? And then listening. Right. Not trying to change their mind, listening. And when we teach this to audiences, and keep in mind, our audiences can have people, when we're in the military, people that are 18 to 65, and you teach what would you love for me to do in bed for you tonight? I can't tell you how many people tell us afterwards, why didn't I learn that simple skill, that simple question? 30 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, it's changed my relationship because you get rid of the arrogance and the assumptions and then we get to do what each other actually wants. It's so much more fun. Right. So as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about it. I talk to everyone about dating, sex, all sorts of uh, communities. Uh, So uh, the porn stars, the polyamorists, the swingers, and these guys have interesting points uh, in some respects, especially polyamorous, I would say because they have very complex relationships and also the BDSM world, actually, because they're kind of pushing uh, into edgy things. They're very mature 
and very healthy and very communicative. And, and they would follow all of this advice really well. You know, if you're looking for a place where it's done well, it's typically in those communities. No, you're absolutely correct. The BDSM community's understanding of consent is at a much higher level intellectually right. understanding than general society. It's not even a close call. Like there's, it's very well understood what everybody's comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with, yeah. what this means. And it is a much more, and I'm, I'm not saying healthy because people will put judgments on that, right? But it is a much more a complete understanding of consent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and normally it it leads to more satisfactory outcomes, more healthy outcomes, because everyone's got their own thing and they, they get what they want out of it. Um, it just ensures that both people are getting what they want. So those guys are very mature. And uh, the people in those communities on the whole are mature and they're ready for that. I think the problem with applying these rules to the rest of society is that everyone is, I, would, I don't know how else to say it, but sexually immature, uh, that's the exact words I use, actually, Angel. Okay. I, literally, that's the exact language. I'm agreeing with you, which is why education must be transformed. It's why we do what we do, because of what you just said. We agree 100%. And I'm a big believer in, look, if you want to change culture, you're much better educating everybody on proper sexual knowledge, confidence, everything. That's how you reduce the crime. We want all the convictions we can convictions we can get for survivors to have closure, for justice to prevail. We want to reduce the crime, though. We need education. We need to shift the way we talk about sex and consent, all of this. Great stuff. All right, right, good. Yeah, I think we do. Sometimes some of the words maybe get in the way. The other concern I am I have is, so if I take a guy, because you know, we're normally teaching guys and they're listening to this podcast. There are girls listening to this podcast, too, um, but it's primarily guys. If I take a guy, typically most of the guys listening to this, they're not super confident about this area of their life. And that's why they're listening to get more confidence, to learn more so that they will become confident soon. The first thing is it adds pressure when they have to say something rather than just make the move. It's kind of like adding an additional step. The second thing I would say is that like the girl in this situation, she's not used to it either. And so it often creates you know, she doesn't know how to respond to some of these things. So for example, if you take the one about sex, like, oh, what type of sex would you like tonight? Now, I know that most really young girl isn't, unless she is really mature, she's not going to know, she's not going to be really experienced. If you're lucky, like, you know, she's kind of outspoken and she'll just say something. But I think most girls would, would not know what to say. And it would basically create more social pressure for her. And she, she just feel more uncomfortable and more awkward. And it would create an awkward situation. I love the question. So I'm going to go with both because we discuss this all the time. So okay. let's go to the first one. It adds an extra step to ask. Here's the irony. It actually cuts out tons of steps. Asking saves you so much time. Easy way to explain it. That same guy who's afraid to ask, how long will he sit there before he makes a move? We all know the answer forever. He will wait till the exact moment he thinks, and he's trying to figure that out. And he is playing a mind game with himself trying to figure that out. And everybody agrees with that. Yes, you do. You play a mind game. Is this the moment? Is this the moment? Is this the moment? If he had asked an hour before, he could be enjoying the intimacy right now. It cuts out a ton of steps. So I can sit there and wait an hour for the right moment, or I can look you in the eyes and say, I feel this amazing connection tonight. May I kiss you right now? It cuts out the steps. Yeah. He's still waiting for the right moment to ask that. But it, here's the difference. Once he thinks there's a connection, once he thinks it, he can ask. Yeah. If he's waiting for the right moment to make his move, that's different because people will sit there and go, all right, I think there's a connection, but is this the right moment? Is this the right moment? Is this the right moment? With the asking for the kiss, it's, I think there's a connection. I can ask. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I don't, I don't think the guys, 
are going to see it any different. They're going to see asking or making a move is the same from their point of view. They're, they still have to take that risk. Yeah, here's why it's not. I'll, I'll explain why it's not, though. It's tremendously different. You make a move, and, and keep in mind that I'm working with all genders. Yeah. You make a move on someone, and they don't want it. We all know how awkward that moment is. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. It's ho- And people will say that, like, oh, that can ruin a night right there. Okay, you ask, and they don't want it. They say no. They say no, and then you respond with, and this is the critical part, how you respond to that. You don't get mad. You don't pout. You be confident, and you say, you know what? Then I'm glad I asked. Last thing I want to do is make you feel uncomfortable. And then they might even say, well, I would love to kiss you maybe later tonight. I'm just not there right now. And you have this, you're building this relationship. It's so much easier. Now, on the second part, you asked about what if the partner doesn't know what they like? That's when you're going to learn. See, when you just make a move and you assume what they like or you assume what they want, it's a guessing game. You could be so wrong. If you ask, what would you love me to do for you in bed tonight? And they don't know. And we, by the way, that's very possible because our culture doesn't teach what it should teach on this topic. And they say, well, I don't know what I like. Then you get to say, all right, what don't you like? Now, there people tend to have an answer. Well, I don't really like this. Or I don't really like that. Okay, great. Would you love if we tried this together? And you get to explore with each other. And by the way, this is the epitome of sexual confidence. It's the epitome of it. And when you talk to people who've had these conversations where it was the first time a partner did that, like said, may I kiss you? Or a partner said, what would you love me to bed for you tonight? The partner who was asked the question will tell you, oh my gosh, it was so sexy because they weren't afraid of the answer. It was total confidence. Like if I said no, I didn't fear their their reaction. But if I said yes, I just felt like with this person, I'm going to be able to be be myself, be vulnerable. It takes a true level of of self-understanding that I can ask these questions and not fear the answer. It's the ultimate confidence. And as you know, you know, Angel, people love sexual confidence. Yeah, they do. I agree with everything you're saying and it all works. You know, uh, for the guys at home, you can take this approach and it will work. I just think that for people starting out, they lack the conversation experience and, and kind of flexibility and ability to lead. Which is why they need, then they need to slow down. And that's good to know. I mean, how many people out there, if they were really honest with themselves in the mirror and say, geez, I'm not comfortable having these conversations, right? then why are you engaging in sex with that person who you, high risk activity with somebody you can't have the conversations with? Don't feel guilty about that. Step back and say, what do I need to do for myself to be able to have these conversations? So for anybody listening right now going, geez, I don't know if I could have that conversation. I don't want you to feel guilty that you can't have that conversation. I want you to gain the knowledge and the skill sets so you can have that conversation because it's going to make this whole thing 10 times easier for you when you can have these conversations. So start with small steps. And they've got to, but they've also got to learn how to make that conversation easy for the other person. Because that's the bit I'm worried about in particular, the guys. Right, right. learn that, right? So the partner says, remember what I gave, I gave him the skill set for that, right? You ask me, I kiss you. And the person, maybe somebody says, oh, geez, I don't, I don't, I'm not used to being asked. I understand you might not be used to that, but I'm always going to give you a choice. I I only want to do this if you want it. That's sexy. That's positive. Now, if you have a sexually immature partner, who's like, well, I just, I'm uncomfortable with this. That's good to know because then you can go, all right, well, then we need to slow down because the last thing I want to do is engage in sexual activity with somebody who can't even talk about the sexual activity. That's not going to be good for me either. So this is a good slowdown. So another kind of some of the objections I think people will come up with are about what about the serendipity? What about the romance? Because, you know, girls and movies are always talking about how they love serendipity, how they love romance. It's always demonstrated in the movies. 
the guy just makes his move right. That's also an aspect of what's teaching us. Yes, well, that's the whole problem. They're being ta- we're being taught romance that is really about control. It's not about romance. It's about control. And it's a disaster on all fronts. Because what happens is one partner is getting there. I want to be swept off my feet. I don't want to have to say anything. I want to be doing anything. All right, let's just pause right there. Look at how selfish that is. We are teaching a culture of, I don't want to have to do anything to be responsible. I want to just sit there. All right, that's not mutual engagement. That's putting all the pressure on one person who actually wants that. Number two, do those scenes really work like they work in the movies? And everybody will tell you, no, of course not. We know that. You don't walk into a room and music suddenly kicks in out of nowhere. Candlelight suddenly turn on. That's not how it works. We're in a real world. So part of the problem is if you are comparing your sex life to film, media, industry, that's a disaster in and of itself. If you're comparing it to porn, you've got an even maybe bigger issue because you said you you know you interview porn performers. They're the first to admit that what they do on film is typically not what they do at home. Absolutely. <laughs> because what they want at home is pleasure. They want this incredible pleasure or connection. And what they do on film is for visual and audio fantasy. It's a performance. The problem is we have people watching performances, whether it be in movies or porn or the internet, and they think that's reality. That's a danger. One of the things we need to do is help people understand that's not realistic. Let's talk about how you have great sex realistically. And that that ends up being way more sexy and romantic. Yeah, I agree. It can be more really romantic. And you've given a few examples of you know how to approach that, how to say things where it will make it romantic. I do think it takes a uh, confidence uh, and sexual confidence to build it up. So it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario. Well, I, I say this, you can gain confidence without experience. And we all know that there's a catch. Some people think, oh, I, you need to do to gain confidence. No, you need to learn to gain confidence, actually. How does our military, and our military is a great example. Of this. Most militaries, this is how they work. They train somebody in a certain action they need to take, life or death situation, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand times, they give them education. They're not really going out there and executing the situation that could kill someone, but they're getting so much training on it that it becomes natural. That, that if when they are in the real situation, they can act naturally. But we don't do that with sexual knowledge. So if you're listening, going, how do I gain confidence if I haven't had experience? Read, learn, research. Talk. Yeah, talk as well. You but know. yeah, they have to have yes. discussions, like with guys, yes. with with yes. girls. And really evaluate who you're learning from. I'm sure you're aware of this too, Angel, right? All the people that say, well, my friends say, well, are your friends in great sexual situations? Maybe they're not the ones to be learning from if they're not. And that, you know, well, my buddy gets laid all the time. That doesn't mean he's having great sex. He could be horrible in bed and getting laid all the time. So you need to really listen to to all perspectives. Yeah, you want to be looking to guys in relationships where you can see that the girl's really into him. There's lots of physical touching and so on when, when they're together. You can see that they've got a physical connection and things are going well between them. Yeah. And le- and that's what you do. You learn, right? I mean, think of it financially. If you were going to try to say, how do I become wealthy? You don't study the people who all went bankrupt. You study the people who have figured out how to become wealthy. Because if you study bankruptcy, you learn how to become bankrupt. If you study wealth, you learn how to become wealthy. You're more likely to. Same thing sexually. What are you studying? The people who fail or the people who have really healthy, mutually wonderful situations. Find them, learn what they did, and you'll learn so much. And by the way, people love when you really are vulnerable and say, I'd like to learn about this. It's amazing how people love to open up and share. Great. 
Uh, so another thing that, you know, actually that's been more of a topic the last few years is women's fantasies. Uh, it's been known for quite a long time that women have a lot of, you know, different fantasies and this can include, can include uh, rape fantasies in, in some situations. So if you look at Nancy Friday's work or in her books, which I imagine you're probably aware of. And then we had the whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing. A lot of it's about domination leading from the guy's perspective. So how do you talk about that area where, you know, women do respond, obviously in the right situation, well to domination and leading, but when you have to kind of, if, if you're going to say, I'm going to ask before I go forward with each step, you could see how that would kind of take away from the domination and, and the leading aspect of it. Well, if somebody's into domination, this goes back to the BDSM community. And as you acknowledged earlier, they have some of the most consensual conversations imaginable. Yeah. So if you think your partner likes to be led, find out, ask, hey, do you love when somebody's very dominant? Do you like, what does that mean to you? Because for a lot of different people, that means a lot of different things. And so you can get really stupid in your own arrogance and think, oh, I'm just going to take control here. And that's not what they mean by somebody who controls. They want somebody who leads but doesn't control. That's different than somebody who controls everything. Very different. So what does the BDSM community do? They say, hey, when we go into a dominant situation or a submissive situation, we totally discuss our role in this situation, what we're comfortable with, what we're not. And if you're going to be in a relationship where you think you want to try dominance, you want to try, you better be able to have all those conversations. And if somebody goes, well, I'm not comfortable having these conversations, well, then you're one, you're cheating your partner and yourself, right? Because now we're supposed to guess what you want or you're supposed to guess what they want. It's a nightmare for everybody. So what you need to do is discuss these things. And for anybody listening going, once again, I can't discuss these things, then maybe you're not ready to participate in these things until you can. Slow down. Okay. Okay, great. So what do you see are the biggest uh, issues to overcome? Like we've talked a bit about sexual inhibition in the cultural aspects of this and basically what's going to be surrounding potentially the guys who are listening to this. What is it in it? Is it in their lives that you think they're going to have to overcome to take this on board? Two aspects. One, that every time they engage in a sexual act with another partner, they absolutely want it to be mutually amazing. Right. So that's the, that's the attitude, the intent. That's the attitude and the intent. Because if you don't have that, if it's about me getting laid, yeah. yo, arrogance is about to kick in real quick and you could make some very dangerous choices based on that versus I want this to be mutual. How will I know mm. that it's going to be mutual? Well, that means we have to talk, right? We've got to communicate. And so number two, instead of being afraid of my words, look forward to my words, to the conversation, to learning what they like, what they don't like. If they don't know what they like or don't like, well, then look forward to the exploration with them of figuring it out by talking about what they want to try, what they don't want to try. That's where it becomes much, a much more intimate, uh, much deeper level sexual relationships, intimate relationships, or just pure loving relationships. That's the key. Uh, go in thinking, I want this to be mutually amazing. Mutually amazing, which means this needs to be a mutual experience throughout. All right. Yeah, great. Uh, so the body language aspect, you say it's difficult to interpret body language. Um, but I do think that's a skill uh, that can be learned. And it becomes kind of blindingly obvious if someone's interested or not when you've learned how body language works. What we teach about body language is that you watch it. You do try to read it. We don't deny that. Or yes, do that, but confirm with words. So body language will give you an intent maybe, 
maybe if you get it right, <laughs> but it doesn't give you the details. Okay, so would, it, would it be okay to say uh, something like, you look like you want to be kissed right now? And then just say, may I? Yeah. Okay. You, you really like the question, bro, right? I do. Here's why. What a men often forget is how that can feel intimidating to make a statement. Mm. Now your partner feels they owe you a kiss. That's a whole different ballgame. And because of what our, what our culture teaches women, in the case you're giving a heterosexual example, women can feel they owe it because they're always supposed to keep their partner happy. I'm not saying that's healthy, but that's what a culture can teach. So when you say, hey, you look like you deserve, a, you want a kiss right now, and no question, it can get in very uncomfortable, intimidating grounds for, for a partner versus you look like you would love to be kissed right now. May I kiss you? Just to add it on and let, let them own it. Because when you let your partner own it and say yes, first of all, empowering for them, for you too, though, to hear yes is sexy. I mean, anybody will tell you if you're in the mood and your partner says yes, you're in it, you're in heaven. This is awesome. Yeah. I've got to be honest with you. I am going to go away after this call and I'm going to talk with all the girls I know. <laughs> um, and I'm going to kind of sift through whether they like the question and leaving. Cause, well, here's know. something to keep in mind though, Angel. Okay. They've never been taught to have that voice. Mm-hmm. So without being in the situation, you're going to get a lot of kickback because they've never been in the situation. And it changes once they've been in the situation. I will tell you that if I walk up to most people on the street and I say to women, would you like to be asked? A big chunk will go, no way. They show up at my show. We have them in the audience. We role play an asking scene. Yeah. Would you like to be asked? Suddenly 90%, I'm not exaggerating, walk out, filling out a form saying, uh, you know, a survey, I am looking forward to asking or being asked. It's, they need the skill set. So without the skill set, they think that asking is going to ruin the moment because they've never been given those choices. Right, the, so you're right saying it's, a, it's like a comfort zone. It is, it is. Mm-hmm. So one of the big things we need out there is, hey, what would it, what, how would you like to be asked is a really good question. So after the call, if you're going to go talk to them and go, hey, if someone were to ask you for sex, how would you want to be asked? If someone were to ask you for kiss, how would you like to be asked? That's a powerful question. And if they go, geez, I don't even know. Okay, well, think about it. Let me know how you like it. If they go, like, I wouldn't want to be asked, well, then... Th- Ask them, well, how, isn't that a little unfair on the partner? They got to always read your mind. And you get into some really great conversations. Great conversations. Yeah, it sounds good. Obviously, you've had a lot of experience with this. It's really impressive if you have women turning around and taking that on board like that. I've seen similar situations where, you know, people have done a flipped uh, in a seminar or somewhere, you know, and they've really taken the information on board. And it's quite impressive. Well, what's neat about it is, and what's neat about it is what we find in our numbers is there's no difference between gender. So in other words, as many men are walking out saying the same thing as women are, because when you learn the skill set, you realize, I want this. I actually want, like you said, sexual confidence. You don't, right? If you have real sexual confidence based on knowledge, what happens if people flip in a one-hour program? One word, knowledge. They gained them confidence. They walked out realizing, I now have a knowledge set I can use. That gives me confidence. And that's what we mean by people getting knowledge, right? Your listeners are listening. Why? Because they want to gain knowledge. And the more they gain that knowledge, the more confident they get. And some of them are listening today, and a few of them at least probably are going, oh, I'm going to try this because they have confidence based on the knowledge. Right. Okay. Talking to the guys to get away with uh, some practical takeaways, you know, on exactly how, and you've given us some examples, but I wanted to kind of walk step by step through a typical situation so that they've got some things to walk away with. Um, so if they were meeting a girl for the first time and they're interested in her, they're attracted to her. 
what should they keep in mind in that scenario? Are there typical things that you'd, you know, you'd think they'd want to say in order to make sure that they go on a date with her, they get her number or anything like that? Just have fun, be yourself and really, and really be willing to learn about the person, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody will tell you that listen over talking because that's how you learn and that's how you get to the vibe of somebody. Uh, and it's just the good old school. That's how to do it. I'll get people that ask me all the time. How do you ask somebody out for a date? You ask them. <laughs> that's, that's really, this is not that complicated. Just ask. And if you're that nervous, start with a coffee. You know what I mean? Just start with whatever, but just put your words on the line. The worst thing that can happen is they say no. Worst case, right? Unless you're totally disrespectful or degrading in how you ask, then they might, you know, slap you or something. But, but if you are respectful and yeah. you're being fun and playful, the worst thing they're going to do is say no thanks and go, okay, gave it a shot. That is so much better than I gave it a shot in life than always going, geez, I wish I could ask that person. Oh, I wish that. Go up and ask. Take the risk. Take the risk because you want the reward. Take the risk. Okay, great. So now they're on the date, right? They took the risk. They got the reward. Um, they're on the date. Uh, what, what sort of things should they keep in mind there? Well, the the things to keep in mind is that start it being a mutual experience before the date. It sets a really cool stage for both of you. What Mm -hmm. I mean by that is don't, you know, a lot of people go, I'm going to surprise them with this amazing date. You don't know what they like. That you could take them the most glamorous situation. It's not who they are. And it just doesn't connect at all. So don't try to impress. That's the biggest mistake I see people making. When they start to impress, they're not themselves. They're putting on a show. If they are getting attracted to you, it's to the show because that's what you've put on, not to who you are. So the key is to find out before the date, what are they like? Oh, you'd like to go out. Great. Where do you like to go? What do you like? What do you like to do? Are you a music person, a movie person, bowling? I mean, throw things out there they wouldn't normally hear to have a little fun with and let them choose. If they're like, oh my gosh, I would love to go bowling with you. You are going to have so much fun on that date. That in no, most people wouldn't have ever thought of that. Right. So you're saying looking for common, common interests. Yeah. And by what, here's what's great about it. If you establish before the date, I want to, I want to set this up to be an awesome night for you. You're setting up, which is true. Hopefully you're not doing it as gamesmanship that you want them to have a wonderful experience. And that's important to you. That shows a mutual respect. And also you don't do this. You don't do something you don't want to do because now you're not respecting yourself. Right. So if they're like uh, bowling and you're not a bowling person, right, that you would hate that night. Okay. What else would you love? Right. (laughs) You don't have to take the thing they say just to keep them happy. That's going to set up a disaster also. So be true to yourself, be true to them, discover. Now you're on the date, keep the discovery, keep learning, keep learning. Yeah. That's, that's very important what you just said, mutually, mutually satisfactory. Cause, you know, I think a lot of guys also go to the other extreme. And as you say, and they're just trying to satisfy the women and not, and they'll go bowling even though they hate bowling which is never going to go anywhere good. Okay, so now the date's going really well and he's thinking about kissing her. What should he be thinking about here or what should he specifically do? Well, if, if he's wondering, geez, I feel a connection, I wonder if she does, ask. But here's the key. Look her in the eye or her, who, who are him, I mean. Whoever your partner is, look the person in the eye. Otherwise, you're just another conversation occurring. Eye contact is so powerful. It's so intimate. It's at such a deep level. So look this person in the eye and say, you know, I feel a really strong connection tonight. Do you? Or if you want to be more casual, do you feel connection tonight? If they're like, yes, I do. Then you're like, okay, so do I. You know what? May I give you a kiss right now? You make it fun and it's playful. Now, some people are going to ask a little differently because they, they their voice is different than mine. That's fine. It's a matter of using your words, being respectful, 
and suddenly you're kissing, right? And now you're kissing and it was all started because you used words. How much easier is it going to be for them to continue the intimacy with you and be able to share what they like, what they don't like? Because that's how you establish this whole relationship. The date you asked what they wanted. You're asking what they wanted as the night goes on. You're asking and now you're in intimacy, consistency. Okay. And now you've been kissing for a while and you know you want to make the move. You want to take her home or go back to her place. How would you... Uh, advised to approach that, you know, simplify that to make it. Yeah. Right. So ask the question, would you love to come back to my place? Okay. Simple question. And I mean, she this comes is back a, to your place. Now what? Now, and you want, you want some sexual experience. Is that what you're referring to here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. All right. So you want some sexual experience. So the two of you are hanging out and maybe you, maybe you even do have this conversation before you go back to your place. Everybody's different in what, you know, the order they want to do things in. As long as you, they come back to your place, you don't assume sex is going to happen. That's critically important that if you only ask for them to come back to your place, that's all they've agreed to. That needs to be understood. And so that means you're going to have another conversation when you get back to your place, but you, maybe you have it before. And that is, oh my gosh, uh, I would love to take this a little further with you. Have a little more fun tonight with you. You can do stuff like that. Now let's say they say yes. Now you get into the where you're about to be intimate with each other, what do you like? What would you love, right? Maybe you're making out and they're they're starting to touch you a little bit more and you whisper in their ear, where would you love for me to touch you right now? You know, so you're making it playful and fun and it's exciting. So I know this is going to be a situation that comes up a lot. So a lot of girls have inhibitions about sex, um, as we were talking about earlier. A lot of people in general, actually, not just girls. But the way girls, you know, I could imagine a girl responding if you start asking her about sex is she'll put her defenses up because she doesn't want to be labeled dirty or slut in, in your eyes or anyone else's eyes, right? Here's how you, there's an easy, I'm going to give you a quick solution to this one. Great. Early in the date. Yeah. Talk about the ridiculous assumptions people make about dating. Mm-hmm. What it does is, let me give you an example. Uh, People say, well, what if somebody's never been asked before? Set the stage for it. So early on on the date, you say to them, hey, I don't know about you, but I hate when dates get awkward at the end. You feel the same way. Now, what is everybody going to answer to that? Yes, that's just an easy answer, right? Yes, I do. I hate it when it gets awkward. Great. Let's not have it get awkward. You know what? If you're feeling a connection or I'm feeling a connection, uh, one, I, I love to be asked. Like I love to have that conversation, but I want you to know that I won't do anything without you wanting to do it either. So I would always ask. So if the end of this night's going amazing and we feel like there's a kiss there, I'll ask you. And I'd love if you do the same. Is that cool? That shows right away. Oh, wow. All right. This is awesome. No games. Cut out all the games. And you're saying that, you know what? I believe in cutting out the games. So I want, you know, maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't tonight, Yeah. but you set the stage. That's great advice. It's it's very effective. You can set the stage in many ways, right? Right. You know, I just like to have straightforward conversations. I hope you do too. Right. Or somebody will go, as you're, the night's going on, you feel connection, right? You can say, you know, how do you view first dates? Like for you, do you love, do you love physical intimacy if there's a connection? Or are you somebody who like, hey, I like to just get to know somebody on a first date? And what it does, it doesn't mean you want either. If you treat both of those options equally, there's no bias. Now, if you're doing this, so do you love physical attraction during a first date or do you like to just talk? Well, that sounds like you're looking for physical attraction. It looks, you know, it looks like you are on the hunt because that's all you're focused on. You need to genuinely ask a question sincerely as if you don't know the answer because you don't. Yeah. Okay. There's some great points there. I still think, you know, some of it's going to be tricky for guys where with some women who are more inhibited and are more averse to the whole slut kind of dimension. And by the way, what a great thing to say, Mm -hmm. right? What if you are honest about yourself during the evening and going, you know, one thing I can't say about dating is how women are treated. 
Like if a woman is wants to be sexual, she's called a slut. As long as these are honest statements, right? This isn't game, gamesmanship. I hated how this gender is treated this way. I just think it's horrible, right? And you set the stage that frees that. So they understand, okay, you're not going to view me that way or treat me that way. The key here is it needs to be sincere and honest, right? I don't want people listening going, no, I'll say that, I'll say that. I don't believe it. That's highly degrading to your partners. It's egotistical. It's dangerous. It means you're out to conquer versus being a mutual experience. Okay, great points. Thank you. Thank you for those. Okay, let's round off now. What are the best ways for people to connect with you and learn more about all of this and your work? Well, they can connect with us online at datesafeproject.org.org. Just think if you're going to go on a date, you want to feel safe and you don't want to feel like it's a project. Datesafeproject.org. They can find us there. They can also call us at 800-329-9390 in the United States. Uh-huh. But the web, you know, I know a lot of people will find us on the website. And if you go to the website, you'll find our Facebook, our Twitter, all of our social media. We'd love to connect with everybody out there. Excellent. Awesome. Who besides yourself would you recommend for high quality advice or knowledge in the whole dating, sex and relationships area besides yourself? Oh, there's so many people out there. Uh, there Top really three. is. <laughs> there's there's somebody right, there's uh, Nicole Alisa. I was just uh, interviewing Nicole. Mm-hmm. Nicole Lisa is a love coach mm-hmm. uh, and she does some really cool work. And so I believe it's NicoleAlisa.com, N-I-C-O-L-E-E-L-I-S-S-A. So two S's.com. Anyone else? Well, it really depends on what perspective somebody's looking for. You know what I mean? So uh, there are so many different avenues that somebody can come from on these discussions. Yeah. It would depend on what they're looking for. All right. So you're, you're not sure? No, because some people are some people are saying, uh, I'd like to talk to more about what a certain gender wants. Others are saying, I want confidence. Others are want. And so what I find here, here's my answer to that. I'm a big believer in read books that make you dig into who you are. It's always going to make you a better partner. Okay. Are there any good books like that? Yes. That- yes, absolutely. So uh, a great book like that could be, for instance, uh, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Okay. Really powerful book. Another book that's totally different mindset than that, uh, but can be different as far as how we pursue life and what we're doing uh, with ourselves would be something like uh, Essentialism by Greg McEwen. Or these are all things that are more self-dig deep in how I'm viewing things. Mm-hmm. Another one would be The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Right. Very well known. Great books. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for those. Oh, Always useful to get you know, top book recommendations. What would be your top three recommendations to guys, uh, you know, say they're just starting from scratch, beginner, very inexperienced, without any prior knowledge, to improve their dating life as fast as possible? To learn your partner. So what, whatever your attraction to whatever partner you have to learn that partners, if you want to learn sex, learn about that partner's sexual needs, wants, skills as much as possible and your own. Typically people go one route or the other, not well with both. So a lot of people will learn, I am a guy. I want to learn how it's great for me to have sex. Uh, or they'll go, well, I'm a guy and I'm having, you know, in your case, you said most of the guys are heterosexual that listen to your show. So I'm a guy that wants to have sex with women. So I'm going to learn all about what women like, but he doesn't know what his own body, he doesn't understand what he likes. You need to learn both. You need to learn both. So if you're a guy with guys, learn about male sexuality. If you're a guy with girls, learn both sexuality. It really just depends on that. But that's the key. Learn, learn, and keep learning. Listen to podcasts that you get awesome experts on like yours where they can learn. I mean, it's just, so. this is an ongoing learning experience. And here's why society is, the media is going to give you such bad role modeling that you need continuous reminders of how to actually live the life 
versus just a one time because you're going to see a thousand bad examples to that one time, one positive. So you need ongoing. Keep listening to the podcast. That's an excellent point. Thank you for uh, bringing that up. So if you have top three recommendations, one is learning all the time. Learning all the time, growing yourself. Uh I mean, that's just massive. Uh, And then being the person you want to attract. I mean, that's so important out there. People say, well, I want to attract this person, blah, 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 blah. And you go, okay. And how are you to that person as an attraction? What are you presenting to the world? And that's really important because some people go, you know, all women this or all men that. All right, well, what are you? How are you? Well, I'm a great catch. Okay, why? Which, by the way, I believe you are. But why? Do you know why? Are there ways that you're deterring people away? So self-exploration is so important. And that's that growth, that self-exploration. So always learning. All of these are the same. And then, and then the last one is get out there. Right, get out there and try. It's okay to be told no as long as you're respectful. It's perfectly okay. So be willing to hear no. And that's really pivotally important. Be willing to hear no, respect the answer, and wait till you find the right match. You'll get a yes, right? That doesn't mean wait as in don't try. I mean, keep going till you find the right match to get that yes. And that's so important out there is taking that step of, look, it takes three seconds to approach someone. Three seconds. Once you start talking, if there is a connection, you usually get a pretty good vibe pretty quick. If there's not, you know it pretty quick and you move on. And that's okay. Not everybody needs to be your fit. And how I describe it is compare it to a director casting a movie. They could have 22,000 actors audition for that role. And a handful are the right fit. That doesn't mean the other 1,995 weren't awesome actors. They weren't the right fit though, not for that part. And so you have to understand you're not going to be the right fit for everybody's part. And they're not all going to be the right fit for your part. It's part of the exploration of finding the right fit. Mike, thank you for that. And thank you for the whole discussion. Uh, it's been very interesting. It's a completely new, unique kind of topic and approach to it that we haven't had on the show. At this stage, we've been doing this for a while, so it's not always easy to find. So I'm really glad you reached out to us as well. And uh, we got this together. Thank you for your time. Well, thanks for having me on, Angel. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Take control of your dating life today. Take one idea or one insight from today's episode and apply it today. Don't wait. Do it today. That's all it takes to change your life, step by step, episode by episode. Learn more about what I, Angel Donovan, and my team do at DatingSkillsReview.com. How we help men like you take control of their dating lives.